Well, it's not very often that Christmas Day falls on a Sunday. And here we are, we're here to say happy birthday, Jesus. And today we're gonna to complete our series, our Christmas series that we have titled, Why the Nativity? And just to let you know, this will be a little shorter than some of the other messages throughout this, this series. I wanna be respectful of your time this morning, but uh, I want you to turn your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter, chapter two. We're gonna to read together our scripture reference. If you don't have a Bible, no problem. It'll be up on the screens behind. You can follow along with us. Uh, this scripture that we are going to read happens immediately after the angelic visitation to the shepherds who were keeping watch over their flocks by night as the, as the scriptures say on that first Christmas. Luke chapter two, we'll be reading verses 15 through 20 and I'm reading from the NIV this morning. Luke two, 15 through 20. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. It wasn't too long ago that I first watched an inspiring movie called The, the Guardian. And I say inspiring because it's about, the, it's about real life heroes. It's about the, the uh, men and women who rescue, called rescue swimmers from the United States Coast Guard. Every day, these brave men and women board helicopters and they respond to distress calls of sinking ships and boats, among other sea-related emergencies. And they do this no matter how horrible the weather gets. It could be in the middle of a hurricane, uh, a brutal winter storm like we, that, that plagued the icy waters of, of the North Pacific, but nothing stops them from going out because they believe it is their firm conviction that there is nothing greater than saving a life. There is a scene in the movie when the Coast Guard captain of this training facility is briefing his new recruits and he proudly reminds them of their high and noble calling. I want you to listen to what he says. He says, out of 39,000 men and women that make up the United States Coast Guard, there are only 280 rescue swimmers. This is because we are the Coast Guard's elite. We are the best of the best. When storms shut down entire ports, we go out. When hurricanes ground the United States Navy, we go out. And when the Holy Lord himself reaches down from heaven and destroys his good work with winds that rip houses off the ground, we go out. Pretty inspiring message, huh? Well, the rest of the movie is the celebration of these brave young men and women who train and they compete to become eventually the ones who jump out of the helicopters into the stormy seas below. They are the true heroes who come down from above to help people who need saving. And the reason I bring this up is because you can't help but see the spiritual parallel that's going on here. Because of course the basic gospel message is that God came down to save man, you and me. He came down from heaven to rescue lost and dying people like us 
People who like the lyrics in that old hymn were sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. So every Christmas we gather to celebrate God's rescue mission. Similar to the people who are out in the ocean, who are in dire straits, and how they rejoice when they see the Coast Guard rescue swimmer has come. We also rejoice every year, this time of year, and we sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Over the past four weeks, we have been emphasizing this fact by uh, reminding ourselves of some answers to several important questions regarding nativity. They are questions that surround Jesus coming down to save us. And today, on this Christmas Sunday, the question I want us to deal with this morning is, why did Jesus come down as a baby? And you gotta understand, we are not the first people to ask that question because the Bible records that the fact that many of the Jews in the first century wondered the same thing because in their minds, the long awaited Messiah would need to come in the form of an ultimate military commander. He would have to arrive full grown on horseback with sword in hand, crying out for vengeance and the redemption of his favored nation. Dr. David Jeremiah writes this, he would have the wisdom of Solomon, the charisma of David, the godliness of Moses, and the military genius of Joshua. The people who lived in Judea on that first Christmas, well, they yearned for that kind of a Messiah. They felt that kind of a need. And furthermore, Israel demanded it. After all, they were a conquered people. They were were an occupied nation at that time. In their minds, a baby would be of no help at all. Which brings us back to our question, why would Jesus come as a baby? I mean, to them, coming down that way makes about as much sense as sending an infant to save a drowning man. But of course, Jesus didn't come down to save a nation. Jesus came down to rescue us from our sin. And this kind of rescue mission required a baby but not just any baby. It required a baby unlike any other. You see, this child would have to be both God and man in order to save lost sinners like you and me. He would have to be fully human and yet fully divine at the same time. I like how Dr. Jeremiah puts it when he writes this, God's eternal plan was for Jesus to come down to die and give his life as a sacrifice for our sins. Only someone perfect would be able to offer his life as a sacrifice. Any other life would be just another human one. God alone is holy. God alone could atone for man's sin with the death of his own son. On the other hand, God is a spirit and a spirit cannot die. What was the possible solution? God must become a man and he must retain his purity and perfection. So on that first Christmas, God not only came down, but when you think about it, he came way down. Philip Yancey writes, unimaginably, the maker of all things shrank down, 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 so small as to become an ovum, a single fertilized egg barely visible to the naked eye, an egg that would divide and redivide until a fetus took shape enlarging cell by cell inside a nervous teenager. 
In order to rescue us, God became man. And what's more, he entered the world in the same way that any man does, as a tiny baby. And today, I wanna to present to you two things that I hope will help us to better understand this mysterious aspect of the nativity story. And here's number one. Baby Jesus' virgin birth was a sign of his divinity. What I mean is an infant conceived and born in this way proved that he was not just any infant, but God come in human flesh. And let's pause for just a moment to acknowledge the fact that the Bible clearly teaches that Mary was a virgin at the time of Jesus' birth. In his gospel, Matthew is careful to point out that although Joseph and Mary lived together after their marriage, they did not consummate their marriage until after Jesus was born. Luke also affirms that Mary was a virgin at the time of Jesus' birth. He echoed the prophecy of Isaiah, which had said, behold, a virgin shall conceive. And three times in Luke's first chapter, Mary herself says she was a virgin, so there is no lack of biblical clarity on this subject, ladies and gentlemen. And, and that is a wonderful thing, because in order to save us, this baby would have to be born of a virgin. There, and there would, be, there would have to be no doubt that this child was, in fact, God in the flesh. When you think about it, that's an amazing thought, God in the flesh. Think about it. That baby that, that Mary held in her arms was God himself. Those little newborn lips that, that cooed and cried are the same lips that, that spoke creation into existence. Those tiny clutching fists once flung stars and planets out into orbit. In Colossians chapter 1, Verses 15 through 17, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Try and for a moment to consider what this means. Concentrate just a few moments and try to conceive how big our universe actually is. A hollow ball the size of our sun would hold 1.2 million planets the size of Earth. Did you know that? This is what science tells us. But that would still leave room for 4.3 million more globes the size of our moon. That's huge. The nearest star, Alpha Centauri, is five times larger than our sun. Betelgeuse, one of the stars visible in the constellation Orion, is 248 times larger than that. No wonder Job expressed his awe in God, in Job chapter nine, verses two through four, and also verse nine, when he wrote, but how can mere mortals prove their innocence before God? Though they wished to dispute with him, they could not answer him one time out of a thousand. His wisdom is profound, his power is vast. And down to verse nine it says, he is the maker of the bear and Orion, 
the Pleiades and, and the constellations of the south. If you will simply look at one of God's created laws, the, the speed of light, it helps you to better understand the size of our universe. That law says that a ray of light travels at 186,000 miles per second. So based upon that fact, a beam of light from here will reach the moon in one and a half seconds. Just imagine traveling that fast. If you could, you would reach Mercury in four and a half minutes. Going on to Jupiter would take about 35 minutes. And if you decided to continue, you could go to Saturn in about an hour. But get this, if you would take, it would, nearly, it would take you nearly four and a half years to get to the nearest star at 186,000 miles per second. And, and, and that speed of light, at the speed of light, traveling just to the edge of our Milky Way galaxy would take you about 100,000 years. See how vast our universe is. And if you could count the stars while you were traveling on that, that, that trip, you would find about 100 billion of them in the Milky Way alone. If you wanted to explore other galaxies, you would have literally billions to choose from. What I'm trying to say is that the size of our universe is incomprehensible. It just is. And who made all of that? Our Lord did. Does that help you to better understand how far down Jesus came in order to save us? Jesus came as a baby. He was virgin born so that we would know without a shadow of a doubt that it was he, God in the flesh, who had come. The fact that he came the way that he did should remind all of us that the one who created everything has come to recreate us and to make us new. But not only that, the way Jesus came, it, it revealed the glorious truth that, that God became touchable. God became approachable. That he loves us and that he wants us to approach him. So Jesus came as a baby. He was virgin born to attest to his divinity. But here's number two. Baby Jesus, virgin birth, also attested to his humanity. You see, in some mysterious way, that baby was not only fully God, but he was also fully man. He arrived from heaven with godly perfection of which no human being is capable, but he also took on a full human journey. And this is so essentially important because it tells us that Jesus indeed had been through everything that we go through. The fact that, that our Savior came as a baby tells us in Hebrews 4, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. To quote Dr. David Jeremiah again, he said, how could we follow his footsteps as a man if we hadn't seen him crawl as a child? How could we believe he had undergone all the temptation we have faced 
if he had bypassed the most difficult years in which we struggle to earn our adulthood. To make the full sacrifice on our behalf, Jesus had to make the full commitment. It would mean very little to us if he had sprung from heaven, fully formed, bathed in heavenly glory, saying, here are my hands and feet, place me on the cross, for I am willing to die. So we see Jesus as the baby in a manger. We see him as a child teaching in the temple. We see him as a young man quietly beginning his ministry that would ultimately change all of human history. And we see Jesus also in the desert wrestling with temptation. And all this shows us that he was fully human. This fact that God in the flesh uh, lived as a baby, lived as a child, lived as a teenager, lived as an adult reminds us that he can indeed sympathize with every struggle that we would ever go through. The incarnation, which is the theological term used to describe God became flesh, tells us that for 33 years, Jesus felt everything that you and I have felt. He struggled just as we struggled. He even faced what every human eventually will face. Jesus faced death itself. In short, Jesus came as a baby in order to deal with the same fears and challenges and trials that we deal with. In an article written by Matt Proctor titled Carols for Any Season of Suffering, he effectively, I believe, compares this aspect of the incarnation when he writes this. My five-year-old Carl and my three-year-old Conrad love it when I dress like them. After they put on jeans and a blue t-shirt, They'll come and ask me to wear jeans and a blue t-shirt. When I do, they have a saying. They will survey me, survey themselves, and say, look, Dad, same, same. For my birthday, Carl bought me a North Carolina blue mesh t-shirt because he had a North Carolina blue mesh shirt as well, so we could be same, same. When I play living room football with my boys, Conrad will not let me play standing so big and scary and towering above him. Instead, he insists I get on my knees. When I am down at eye level, Conrad puts his hand on my shoulder and he says, see dad, same, same. They like it when I enter their world. The theological term for this is completely other. This summer, I scraped my leg working around the house. A couple days later, when Conrad fell down and scraped his leg, he pointed at my scab, then showed me his own, and he said, hey, Dad, same, same. Here's my point, he writes. God himself has felt what we feel. He chose not to stay completely other. He got down at eye level, and in the incarnation, God experienced what it's like to be tried and discouraged. He knows what it's like to hurt and bleed. On the cross, Jesus himself prayed a psalm of lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In your pain, you may be tempted to say, God, you have no idea what I'm going through. You have no idea how bad I'm hurting. But God can respond, yes, I do. He can point to your wounds and then to his own and say, look, same, same, me too. I have entered your world and I know how you feel. I have been there. I am not only approachable, I am with you now. I care and I can help. That is what Christmas is all about.
Listen, church, Jesus came the way that he did as a baby so that we could better understand that he was both God and man. This is so very important because we can trust him with our lives, knowing that he is God, and we can love him with our hearts because we know once he was a tiny baby wrapped up in swaddling clothes and and lying in a manger. You know, the truth is, folks, I have such a hard time understanding many of the erroneous views of God that people carry with them in this world. Some of the things that I have heard attributed to God just make my skin crawl. And you can get into some very heated debates if you're not careful, because I tend to get a little little angry about some of the things that I hear, and I have to kind of tone myself down. But people believe that God is responsible for all the bad stuff that happens in the world. There's an earthquake, there's a fire, there's a natural uh, tragedy of some kind. They always want to blame God. While at the same time, out of the other side of their mouth, they deny that he had anything to do with creation. So they want to give him credit for all the bad, but they don't want to give him credit for the good. People believe that God wants to punish them. He wants to punish them when they do wrong and that there is no love at all to be found in him. But then I'm reminded when I get frustrated and I just kind of go, why can you think that way that our enemy Satan does his level best to to blind people to the truth of, of who God really is? And sadly, many people have bought into his lies hook, line, and sinker. And if you've ever found yourself thinking those same kinds of thoughts regarding God, I would say to you this morning, why would God even go to the trouble of sending Jesus if he didn't love you? And why would Jesus be willing to come and to to die a horrific and a brutal death on the cross if he didn't love you? And why would he even care about your spiritual condition and, and making you ready for his return again if he didn't love you. You see, my God, ladies and gentlemen, is all about love. It is his single greatest attribute or characteristic, but it's far more than an attribute or a characteristic. It's what drives everything he does. Every loving word, every loving deed, the beauty of this creation, this world, the gift of life, it all comes from a loving God. And because God wants you to spend eternity with him when your time on this earth is over, it's exactly why he sent Jesus in the first place. That baby grew up, and through his life, he showed us the love of God. And please understand something. God is not the reason for the bad in the world. It is sin that has corrupted our world. It is your sin and my sin that has corrupted this world. And it continues to to create the bad things that we see day after day. And God knew that there needed to be a way for those who believe in him to be uh, freed from from sin's grip that had a hold of us. And sending Jesus was his plan in order to make that happen. Jesus came to die so that we could live eternally in God's presence in a place where there will be no sickness and there will be no sadness, there will be no tears, and there will be no fears. It's a place of perfect peace where we will live in the presence of God himself. God is love, and love is why Jesus came. And I can't think of a better Christmas gift for you to receive on this day that we celebrate Christ's birth 
than salvation in Christ Jesus. I'd like to ask the worship team to come forward. I'd like to ask all of you to stand to your feet if you would. I have asked the worship team to lead us in a final song as we close out this Christmas Day service. We're going to leave here singing his praises. But before we do, if you are here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never received salvation, you can do so on this Christmas Day. While we sing, all you need to do is just pray a simple prayer. Tell Jesus that you believe in your heart that he is the Son of God, that he is the only way to God the Father. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Offer him lordship over your life. What that means is uh, to put your life into his hands, to put your life into his care and under his direction. That's what allowing God lordship over your life is all about. The Bible tells us that if you confess your sins, he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness and you will become what the Bible calls a new creation. And I guarantee you, when and if you do that, you will never look at Christmas the same way again. So we're gonna sing a song together this morning called What a Beautiful Name. And while we sing this, we sing this with honor and glory to the one who saved us and who has given us new life with a new purpose. Scott.
Precious Father, I, I just thank you for today. I want to thank you for my church family, for their faithfulness to you, for their faithfulness to this church, and for their faithfulness to their pastor. God, I ask your blessings upon each one of them today as they leave this place and go back to their homes and celebrate Christmas. Pray that your presence would go with them would be profound it would be so tangible today that they would be reminded of what we celebrate this day for we thank you for Jesus we thank you for his sacrifice we thank you for the promise it's what we live for and we thank you God for offering it to us 
pray that as we go our separate ways today that your spirit would go with us, guiding and directing us in all that we say and do. Let us today go in love, loving not just our family, but loving those who come around us. Father, again, let us be bright lights in a dark world. Let us shine your love and your goodness to all those around us. We thank you for this day. We thank you for the presence of your spirit. And we say happy birthday, Jesus. Thank you for coming. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for transforming our lives. We give you all praise and honor and glory. And we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus, the powerful, wonderful, and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here. Merry Christmas.